Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview health and wellness practitioners across the globe to see what sets them apart. You will find out why they not only teach and talk about health, but how they walk the walk as well. If you ever wanted to see what others are doing on a daily basis to get healthy and be able to implement in your life, then you're in the right place. Also, I'd like to invite you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com and take your free brain health quiz today to see where the health of your brain lies. And for taking the quiz, you will get a copy of my book for free, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horaski. And welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 34. In today's episode, I interview emotional healing coach and the funniest man in health, J.P. Sears. Be sure to stick around for finding out what superhero J.P. would like to be and what superpower he would like to have, why J.P., would like to meet Buddha and Bill Burr, and using acceptance as a nutrient. There might even be a laugh or two along the way. Alrighty guys, another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast today, and on the line I have uh, JP Sears. Now JP, one of the first questions I ask everybody is, Tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. That's a good question because 10 is as high as I can count. So that's all you would get Perfect. anyway. <laughs> My health journey, boy, uh, uh, obsession with looking strong, uh, which had a lot to do with masking my inner sense of weakness through an outer facade of strength, building up my body. Uh, which then got me into holistic exercise, uh, which then got me into holistic nutrition, which then got me into the inner realms of the heart, emotion, psyche, spirit. And to me, that's an infinite mystery that I'm still exploring. So where, where on that exploration are you right now? Yeah, a good question. I'm somewhere in the mystery of the human <laughs> heart, mind, and soul. You know, the the earlier parts of my health journey, the exercise and nutrition, I'm not passionate about those anymore. I mean, they're, they're staples in my life. I, I exercise, I eat well, and I, I hope I always do. But, you know, I'm not passionate about studies uh, in those realms. I'm not, uh, you know, I can't even remember the last time I read a nutrition book. Um, and, uh, and I don't work with clients in those realms anymore. So they're just kind of, you know, not the passions of my heart. I mean, it's awesome. Other people, I totally get why they're passionate about it, but yeah, to me, it's the human mind, heart, soul, uh, where I'm at in my journey. I'm exploring the the mysteries of my own self certainly healing old wounds that i'm you know inadvertently discovering along the way stepping more into my power and i think getting to know this stranger that lives inside of me called my authentic self 
you know, a little bit more and more each day. And then my work with clients and kind of the, the public, I think, uh, really reflect where I'm at in my journey because that's how I interface with people. Now, I've also, I, I, I love seeing some of your YouTube videos that you do. Uh, like, where do you get the inspiration? Where do you get some of your ideas from? Does that, is that from working with clients? Is that from even just exploring with yourself to share with the world? Yeah, the the more serious angled videos, they're they're almost always inspired by client work or uh, actually lots of them are just viewers sending me in questions. Uh, but like yesterday, I, I finished a client session. I just had come to me, uh, you know, a video topic I want to do, which is um, how to feel when you're numb, and it, so that comes directly from client work. And, and uh, there's also a part of me that believes that those video titles are also things that I need to look deeper into. You know, we tend to teach what we need to learn the most. And uh, yeah, and then the, the, the more comedy-oriented videos, like the ultra-spiritual ones, I think those video topics, they come from a few different places. Uh, one, I think, is just a pure artistic realm of creativity, which I, I love tapping into that. And another realm is those videos tend to reflect my own dogma that I'm coming to terms with, shining the light on, becoming less attached to my own dogma, but needing to become aware of it first. So um, I think my dogma is another source uh, that some of the material for the comedy videos uh, comes from. Very good, very good. So, switching topics here. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before we got on the show here, and even now, like you said, you went into a coffee shop. How do you like your coffee? I like my coffee like I like my connection with my girlfriend, cold. <laughs> that was hilarious in my head. I didn't didn't even get me to laugh. But yeah, nowadays for probably the last two years, I'm really into cold brew coffee. I have a cold brew coffee system uh, here at home as well, but I, I, you know, it's like I'm a cold brew coffee connoisseur. I like to go to different coffee shops and uh, taste how they do it, and I like cold brew coffee for a, a couple of reasons. One, you know, the the taste is wonderful. It brings out different elements of the coffee bean that are just different than when heat is used to extract the elements. So just room temperature and more time is what's used for the uh, cold brew. And uh, it's also very low acidity. Uh, I tend to have like a sensitive physiology, kind of, I'd call it a weak constitution actually, where a little bit of something not good for me, I, I really notice. So I think the normal acidity in hot coffee or espresso, it really whacks me out. And I, I love espresso, that's the problem. Uh, but with cold brew coffee, it's very low acidity, and that tends to work really well for me. I'm much more compatible with it. I can't drink it every day, but usually anywhere between, th yeah, usually about three days a week is all I can handle. Um, but I handle it much better when it's the low acidity cold brew. Now, you said like you have a home brewing unit or kit like yeah. what do you have the, what do you use for that i believe the name brand is a yama uh, it's a japanese cold brewing system it's a tower so it kind of looks like a 
Walter White meth lab chemistry set, <laughs> which is why I like it. It looks cool. It's a nice conversation. He's like, JP, what's that? And, uh, well, I'm brewing crystal meth there. <laughs> so it, it's a tower just uses gravity to very slowly, uh, pull water out of the, you know, the main water tank one drip at a time. And it takes about eight or nine hours to brew, uh, what's probably eight cups of, uh, coffee. But yeah, it, it's a fun system. It's a little bit of a Play-Doh art form for my adult self. That's a stretch calling me an adult, but anyway. Uh, actually, that sounds like fun. Uh, you made me think, though, when uh, you, you said, uh, the, how do you like it, cold? Uh, I was listening to a podcast, and uh, Charles Poliquin was asked how he likes his coffee. And he responded with, like my soul, black. Uh, <laughs> was that by chance the Tim Ferriss It podcast? was, it was. I heard that. That was a, that was a great episode. So when I, when I heard your response, I, I thought of something similar to that, and it just made me crack up. So that was great. Thank you. Uh, but uh, speaking of meth, then, uh, what is your favorite vice? Speaking of meth, <laughs> I love that lead-in. Speaking of meth, JP, my uh, <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the warning, it's not going to be super interesting. Like, I wish I could say, like, yeah, meth, I do that. And <laughs> here's the good reason why I do meth once in a while. You know, I, I think from a consumption standpoint, cold brew coffee is my favorite vice. And then, yeah, ice cream is certainly up there as well. And then um, I don't watch TV. I, I don't have a TV, and it's been that way for a, a great reason and haven't had a TV for 13 or 14 years but lo and behold I have a computer and I get Netflix so my girlfriend we we love to watch get into a different you know TV series on Netflix and uh, a, a few nights a week we'll watch an episode or two of whatever our you know brain polluting vice is right now at the moment it's house of cards uh, but I've certainly, you know, I've been into Breaking Bad and, uh, you know, a few other series. So that to me, it's definitely a vice. It's a letting go. It's a relaxing. And honestly, I think there's mental pollution with it as well. But at the same time, uh, I don't want to become obsessive compulsive and try and make my mind a steri sterile environment. I think some degree of mental pollution is necessary or very helpful anyway to kind of inoculate our immune system if we keep and i've i've been obsessive compulsive before where i don't let any mental pollution in and i, and I think it just makes me weaker much like if a human being is always in a sterile environment keeps them free of toxins but it really weakens their immune system so that's my justification now, okay, so if you're talking, uh, this is more of a mental thing, this is more of a pollutant, what would be uh, something good, like something that you use as like a good stressor or something mentally for yourself? That's a good stressor. That um, I like that. I think uh, I build my schedule very full, you're pretty ambitious each day. It takes a lot of, you know, I have to be running at a pretty fast pace. Uh, not not physically, but just 
mentally, emotionally, being on point with my uh, schedule. Uh, there, there's not a lot of breathing room that I build in during the day. And I, I tend to, I, I love the work I do. It doesn't feel like work. So I tend to work long days. Uh, oftentimes it's from eight in the morning till eight at night. It's sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. But I, I think that's very enjoyable for me, very purposeful and inherently it's very stressful to a part of me. And I think it's a mental stress that I can cope with. I think it's a stress that um, given if I give myself the right downtime and take care of myself, it's a stress that I recover from and get stronger, better conditioned. But yeah, I would say a, an ambitious schedule and continuing to push into new endeavors is for me my favorite beneficial mental stress. And certainly differentiating, you know, your word, a stress. It's not a wound. It's not traumatizing myself, but certainly like a, uh, uh, how exercise is a stress, you know, therapeutically uh, in the right dose, we can recover from it. So that's how I see the, my schedule that I build. Now, talking about uh, working sometimes 12 plus hour days, what are your thoughts on sleeping eight hours? I mean, is that something that we have to do? Is that something that can be uh, overcome? Uh, what do you do to combat even if you are running a little bit low on energy or sleep? Yeah, I, I don't like to be dogmatic about anything except not being dogmatic about anything. That's dogmatic in and of itself. So I'm a hypocrite, apparently. Uh I personally do really well on seven or eight hours of sleep, I, and, and I don't think everybody needs it. I think a lot of people are convinced they do well on a lot less sleep when, in fact, they don't, but they're convinced of it. But So I think some people um, don't need eight hours of sleep, and I think there's some validity. The older we get, the less sleep we need. Maybe that's just us trenching our way into our own grave and justifying it. Who knows? Uh, and there, I'm definitely guilty of not uh, always sleeping as much as I need to. And how I combat that is, uh, well, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just suffer and I'm psychologically slow, physically slow. But I do my best to, on the whole, be consistent with sleep. So if I'm sleeping, you know, five days a week, getting seven or eight hours, then I have the tolerance and elasticity to not really feel the insult if I just get five hours of sleep for a night or two. But if it's three nights, four nights, that really gets me. And I would say the best way I compensate, it's not a full compensation, but the best way I can cope when I am energy deficient is not drinking coffee, but drinking yerba mate tea. I tend, I tend to find I do better on coffee when I don't need it. When I think I need coffee, it's like it gives me you know, 20% more energy for a couple hours and then 80% less energy for the rest of the day. I wish it didn't work like that, but my unique uh, chemistry, it, it tends to. So, um, And then you know, certainly crystal meth is a great compensation, <laughs> speaking of crystal meth. Speaking of cocaine and crack, all the uppers. Uh, now, as far as other uppers that you may use, uh, well, I, I'll give an example for myself. Like, 
my son was born a few months ago. Uh, I had gotten away from my Tai Chi practice and recently within the past few weeks I've picked it up and I feel like I need less and less sleep. Uh, do you find that anything that you can that you do uh, or do you have a practice such as that where it's mindfulness, uh, meditation, uh, Tai Chi, Qigong, whatever it may be, is there anything that you practice yourself? Yeah, I think my version of that is a morning meditation and a morning walk. Usually, you know, one of the once I get up and cleanse my bowels to be as poetic as possible, the first thing I do is I go for a walk around my neighborhood, which it's it's about a mile loop, and that uh, I, I think there's certainly something uh, physically that's. Uh, uh, invigorating about that to me, but also it's like a, it's space for me. So there's, there's that gift to myself that I think also goes a long way. And then following the walk, I do a short 10 or 15 minute meditation. And, and that for me is very helpful with my physical and psychological energy for the day. It does help me give some rebound if I'm running inherently energy deficient, and it, it really helps keep me rolling along and balanced when I'm, you know, energy neutral or energy abundant. I hate the word abundant, by the way. I also hate Why's the that? word hate. Why, why, uh, why do you strongly dislike maybe the word abundant? Then? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I also love to be a hypocrite because I'm using the words. I, you know, I think they're, I'm a judgmental son of a gun, just like they're the best of them. Yeah, the word abundant, I think in the new age community, it's gotten super cliche, super hollow and empty. Uh, it, it's, it's like a very sparkly exciting term that's used in inherently empty ways, I think. Um, so anyway, to me, the theme of abundance, as it's usually portrayed in, uh, in our uh, typical media, I think that's good material that I've used and will probably use some more for some of the ultra spiritual stuff. And uh, it's apparently still part of my dogma. Hence uh, the word abundant just flowed out of my mouth naturally. All right. Very good. Very good. So JP, what is, what is something that your friends or family think that you're world class at that you are just absolute cream of the crop best in the world at? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I don't know that they would see me as the best in the world at anything. Uh, maybe they would. Uh, maybe I'm either too humble or too ashamed to see that. But pretending that they see, you know, whatever it is I'm the best at, whether I rank first in the world or, you know, in the top million, who knows. But I would dare say uh, being intuitive, connecting with people, and uh, making people laugh. That's great. And are you somebody who would focus on their strengths? Like, are, are those things that you're going to play into uh, for, for yourself, for your clients? And how would you do that? Yeah, I do think I am someone who focuses on my strengths. I love to be aware of my weaknesses and you know, work on the ones that I think I need to work on, but also not become misdirected and work on weaknesses just because they're weak. But I think I think a great gift is to accept that we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Uh, 
you have to be Hitler to try and eliminate all your strengths and just be all-powerful, almighty. So I think accepting our weaknesses, and I think our own judgment is the only thing that defines our weaknesses. So I think accepting those, there's, there's wonderful grace in them. And I, I do think that focusing and maximizing strengths, it, it seems to be a very wonderful fertilizer for growth. So yes, I, I do focus on my strengths. And, uh, you know, those several strengths of intuition, connecting with people and making people laugh, they are very integral parts of my work. Um, and I think my work has blossomed both in terms of personal satisfaction as well as, you know, becoming better known and my business better supported. Uh, that's all blossomed as I've allowed those strengths, one, to be discovered, but also prioritized, nurtured, and really leveraged. You know, the in, intuit, uh, being intuitive, which I think all people are, uh, just do we know it or not, and do we know how our intuition is accessed, how it speaks to us, and what it speaks to us. But intuition and connecting people, that's huge in my one-on-one -on -one work with clients, as well as when I'm teaching and I think also doing videos, especially the serious videos. And then I think making people laugh, uh, which connecting with people is certainly blending into this one that uh, tends to work very well with the, the comedy videos as well. Um, and also being in front of uh, groups of people when teaching. Now, talking about, you, you said like you feel that everybody uh, at some capacity has the ability to access intuition. Do you have any either tips or cues that you use with your clients or things that you use for yourself to make it easier to access that intuition? Yeah, you know, I do. Uh, it's not the end-all be-all because I think inherently intuition is something that's relatively intangible. So it, we can talk about it, but we can't really envelop it with our uh, intellectually based concepts that we try and use to frame everything so we can feel a delusional sense of control that our egos love. Uh, but inviting people, and everybody listening to this, inviting yourself to guess at things. Uh, when we give ourselves the unattached permission to just guess, it helps us access what I would call our divine, brilliant inner child. It's really accessing a, a very playful ego part uh, that I call the inner child, not the wounded inner child, but the divine inspired inner child. And I think our intuition flows through that. The more we put ourselves into a, a self-preservation mindset, being like, okay, I need to be right. You know, it, okay, I, I might not die if I'm not right. But when I say I need to be right, like, okay, I'm amping up the pressure. So my needle is moving more towards self-preservation priorities but when we're wanting to be intuitive, we need to be playful and open. And being intuitive, we want our needle to go towards the self-realization polarity, not self-preservation. So when we allow ourselves the grace of just take a guess, oh, what do I think here? Well, don't think, just guess. That's just being playful. It's not putting a need to be right. Uh, because by definition, taking a guess, there's really no pressure to be right. You don't need to be right. Just guess. So letting ourselves inch into uh, finding the groove of a guessing frame of mind 
accesses something other than our intellect. And it's challenging because when we take a guess at something, we try and think of the answer so that we can then express that as our guess, but that's a bunch of crap. Uh, A guess is just whatever floats into our mind, and oftentimes the intuitive hits, information, words, they come in before we have a chance to understand why they came in. You know, I was working with a client last night, and she had an emotional issue, and I, and I asked her, just take a guess how old you were when you learned how to see yourself as a worthless piece of trash. She said, uh, you know, nine years old. I don't know why I say nine. I was like, glad. I'm, gl- uh, I'm very glad you don't know why you said nine, because that lets something come in that's beyond the control and the limitations of our intellect. And I think our intellect's super awesome. Wouldn't want to amputate it. Wouldn't want to go without it. But I also don't want to go without going beyond it. I think our intellect is a great gift when we don't let ourselves be limited by it. And I think it's a a curse when it becomes our prison and we make ourselves limited by it. I think our weirdo friend with uh, unkept hair, Einstein, said it best, Uh, with his quote of, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant. And he also points out, most people live in a way that honors the servant and forgets the gift of the intuitive mind. So yeah, guessing, uh, I think, is huge. Uh, Letting ourselves say things that we ourselves don't understand, uh, I think, is huge as well. I think our, you know, I think the quality of life really gets enriched. We get much more three-dimensional with our sense of purpose in life when we become connected to our intuition. It's something that's always there. The question, in my opinion, the question is, how blocked are we or not? So speaking of Einstein then, who who is somebody that you would have liked to have either met or currently who is somebody you would just absolutely love to meet? Hmm. I love that question. Uh, Carl Jung, a Swiss psychiatrist, he did loads of work on exploring the human psyche, dream work, uh, helping people connect with their authenticity, moving beyond their pathology, and really step into the light of their soul and their intuition died in the 1960s. So yeah, long story short, I I would have loved to have met Carl Jung. And, uh, you know, I think it'd be pretty groovy to have lunch with Buddha as well. Yeah. And then as far as uh, current people who I'd love to meet, I think there are, there's got to be a lot of them. And I'm halfway blanking on, you know, a comedian I love, Bill Burr. Uh, He's, I think he's a a genius, a great artist in his own right. It's expressed through the art of comedy. Uh, yeah, I'd love to meet him. Very good. Uh, I might have to uh, check out Bill Burr a little bit more. That one, I'm not sure who that is there. Yeah, Bill Burr. Uh, if you have Netflix, uh, uh, type him in B U R R. He's uh, he's pretty unique. Very good. Very good. So, JP, what would you guess is the next question I'm going to ask you? <laughs> I love that. I would guess something about childhood. Who knows? But okay. That's well, then the going that off that, um, share to me. What about your childhood? You you spoke about. Oh, good. Uh, I was right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you talked about even when you were younger, an obsession with looking stronger. What? Yeah. How was was that during your childhood? How has that progressed? And 
What, what did your movement practice look like then versus what it looks like now? Since I can remember, which I, you know, I have memories back to one year old. So I, I connect with a lot of memories. So since I have the memory of memories, I've always been obsessed with superheroes. I think for many reasons, one of them is they express archetypal themes that are incredibly relevant to the human psyche. I happen to have a human psyche, so I'm told. And amongst other, you know, those reasons, superheroes portray the persona of strength and invincibility, and they defy mortality in their own way. And I think that's symbolized through their physiques as well. You know, in the comic books, Superman, Batman, they're always drawn uh, in a way that symbolizes that. So going with that, I remember being 10 years old is when I started working out for the first time. And, you know, I'd want to look like a superhero. And I would do push-ups and sit-ups before school. And and in a way, I think that's wonderful. And it, it propelled me into a relatively healthy, hopefully, lifetime track of taking care of my physical fitness. And I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I can definitely see there was an obsessive compulsive component of that that was a a way of disconnecting from my own mortality, my own sense of weakness, my own specific wounds that made me feel weak inside, unworthy, shame of my existence, you know, really the opposite of what a superhero portrays, you know, they're immortal, and these wounds, these weaknesses, boy, they make me feel very mortal, enough so that I didn't know how to process it and digest it in those times of my childhood. So I had to deny it. And I, in, out of all the ways you can deny your wound, disconnect from your heart, I think uh, exercising and bodybuilding, it's uh, it's a pretty good way to do it. Yes, it's denial, and it's, I think, a hell of a lot better than drugs or alcohol or going out and needing to get in trouble with the law just to feel a sense of defiance and uh, authority can't control me. So anyway, progressing what it looked like is getting into my early teens and mid-teens. I got very into bodybuilding. I just turned 17. I did a teenage bodybuilding show, another one when I was 18. And uh, those were experiences I think I needed. I think that was the pinnacle of me. Yeah, it it represented the peak of me being obsessed with a built body. And I started to really see the hollow underbelly of call it the culture of bodybuilding, where I'd be at a bodybuilding show or the gym locker room and, and these people just being obsessed with how they look. And it, it's like they just felt empty to me. And I think really what I was feeling is my own emptiness projected onto them, saying, you know, this, to a, a, a decent extent, this sport is uh, manufactured out of pain, in denial of self. And that didn't feel right to me. So after 18 to 19, I got into holistic exercise uh, through the Czech Institute. And that really, it it was a very important path of helping me use exercise and obsession with my body and in a more balanced way, finding sort of the middle path with it, where it became 
less of an obsession and more of a functional way of uh, taking care of myself. If that halfway answers your question. Uh, no, that's, that's a fantastic answer. And more importantly now, uh, speaking of superheroes, who is your favorite superhero? And if it's different, what, su what one superpower would you like to have? It's a good question. It, it, they are different. My favorite superhero is Batman. And ironically, he's a superhero without actual superpowers. He's mortal. But Batman, he, uh, he really represents the shadow side. And I love the shadow side. It's important to me in my personal life, the work I do with clients. Uh, I made a video uh, almost a year ago called The Psychology of Batman. And I actually had a friend of mine play the role of Batman, and I'm counseling Batman, taking a look at his childhood. You can check that out on my YouTube channel if you want to. So Batman has been and is my favorite superhero. And the one superpower I could have, or I would have if I could have one, you know, I, I'm going to have to go with flying on this one. I, I know it's not original, but... It'd be pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> I, I think that's a great answer there because it doesn't have to be original. If it's something that you want to do, that's all that matters. Yeah, you know, it, it'd be fun to say, yeah, I'd have a superpower to manifest food in front of all the hungry people. Yeah, it'd be great to do, but screw it, I want to fly. And that's that's where we sometimes just come out and have selfishness too. And to accept that, hey, that's something you would love to do. Uh, maybe by flying, you could still now be able to go and give all that food all over the world to people, then carry it to the ones that need it. So you might be able to accomplish a few different things with that superpower then. I think that's right. Now I feel uh, better about my selfish decision to want to fly. Uh, JP, before you talked about even having memories back to one-year-old, if somebody's looking to access those memories, are, are there steps that they can take to uh, or what steps could they take into getting to that point? Yeah, I love that question. I don't think anything trumps inviting it to happen. You know, I think the word intention, it's one of those things that's maybe used in ways that, um, you know, present day new age culture, we don't always know exactly what we mean when we say intention and I think we can use intention for you know shallow stuff but I think uh, here intention it's a, a a door that we open to our inner self I think the first two letters of the word in, uh, intention are very revealing so simply intending and inviting memories that we don't remember to come up and some of us would say, no, they're gone. Well, I disagree. Uh, I think our memories always remember us, even if we don't remember them. I think the human mind-body, it's the most sophisticated recording device in the universe. I don't think there's one nanosecond of our time in the womb, our birth, our childhood, our adulthood, that isn't recorded in our mind-body miraculous uh, energy system. So inviting memories to come up. Uh, and I think especially when we have a purpose to it, you know, I, I want to connect with memories that will help me uh, on, you know, become more in line with my purpose in life, or that will help me run this business better or connect with memories that 
will help me be more intimate and connected in my relationships. So I think having a purpose and intention are very important. And then the last thing I want to say in that, or so I can have control here and feel like I'm in the position of authority because I'm dysfunctional as hell, is paying attention to our dreams at night. Oftentimes our memories won't just become literally expressed in our dreams, yet they'll often be symbolically expressed in our dreams. So the feeling tone of our memory will oftentimes present itself in our dreams. You know, granted in the dream, we might be being chased by a a bear who's morphing into uh, our second cousin and we're running through the woods scared and now we look down and see we don't have any pants on and now we feel embarrassed. So the chances are that's not a literal memory, but connecting to the feelings of the dreams, uh, those feelings are oftentimes unremembered memories, the feelings of them. And oftentimes memories, they they come up uh, in increments. You know, we have the thought component of the memory, you know, the mental visualizations uh, and surroundings, you know, the mental concepts of what was happening in this memory. Then we have the feelings of the memory. Sometimes the feelings just come first, and oftentimes they'll do so through our dreams. And if we can connect to those feelings, invite them, even though, well, this dream, I don't know what that was about, but here's these feelings. Connecting to the feelings uh, can then be the the lead-in for the the thought-based components of the memory to then find their way into our waking consciousness. Now, what has your what has your most recent dream been about? A great question. Uh, if you don't mind girl- sharing, that is no, not at all. My girlfriend and I were just talking about it uh, this morning. Uh, sometimes she'll share a dream of hers, and I'll share a dream of mine first thing in the morning. So, my most recent dream. Uh, I was in a barn and uh, there were a lot of snakes there and I, you know, feelings were definitely evoked. There was a rattlesnake and then these mysterious black snakes. I watched a rattlesnake and one of the black snakes bite some kind of animal and it was very provoking for even more feelings, more fear. And uh, I had my iPhone flashlight function as I'm trying to get out of the barn without stepping on any of the snakes or going near them, get out of the barn, shut the door. Then I hear a kangaroo on the other side of the door knocking. I don't know how I knew it was a kangaroo, but I did. It's a dream. They don't necessarily work in a literal, intellectual, make sense kind of way. And I felt really bad. Like I want the kangaroo out of there because I don't want it to get bit by snakes. So I kind of reach over, let you know, so if there's snakes right there, they won't get me open the door, the kangaroo comes out, steals my backpack, and then I'm trying to get the kangaroo or the backpack away from the kangaroo, but I'm afraid the kangaroo's going to kick me because I have obviously really strong legs and I'm standing in front of it. So that's my most recent dream. <laughs> Make sense of that for uh, me. Uh, that was, uh, thank you for sharing that. That was, uh, if nothing else, a great story either way. It, uh, <laughs> so, JB, what is your what is your vision for a healthy future, what will health look like maybe in, in 10 years, in 100 years? And that can be either for yourself, that could be for the world as you would like to see it. 
what what is your vision for that acceptance uh, I think that's the primary mind body nutrient that uh, the world is deficient in that has the biggest potential to bring the biggest benefit and I, I think we're definitely on our way to uh, learning how to consume more acceptance accepting ourselves, accepting other people I think what wears us out ages us faster and degrades our quality of life more than anything in a word is resistance to what is so I think acceptance is a huge part of uh, what will cause us to and myself to increase our health if that makes any sense what is something that you're working on accepting uh, currently for yourself Uh, that's a good question helplessness is part of it Uh, feeling helpless uh, especially with other people Uh, feels like torment and shame to a part of me. And there's another part of me uh, continually learning how I truly am helpless. And that's part of the gift. The more I'm trying to be helpful to other people, the more I'm actually rejecting how they are right now. And I think there's a, you know, I don't want to downplay help. I think it's a great thing. But there's a difference between inviting people to receive our help and needing them to receive our help. And I come from an emotional background of learning how I learned to get my needs met as a child was I became the rescuer. So being helpful meant I'm worthy. I'm the superhero. Not being helpful, being helpless about something, which inherently I think most things I am helpless about, uh, that just felt so invalidating to my being. So there's a lot of unworthiness and shame that uh, I know I have inside to process. I've certainly worked on some and certainly have more to go so that I can actually accept my helplessness, which is truly boiling it down, accepting me for who I am, not rejecting me in the name of playing the rescuer. You know, I, the rescuer JP is valuable, but regular JP is crap. So learning how to break out of that uh, self-perpetuating ball of torture. And I think it's uh, true love is found in accepting people as they are. Needing to help people, and again, needing to help people, not just offering uh, help, but when we need to help people, I think it's incredibly disrespectful to that person, incredibly unloving. To me, it sends a passive-aggressive implication that says you're defective the way you are. So let me tell you how you need to be in order for you to be a worthy person. And and I think there's a reason why people resent it when uh, we unsolicitly try and help them because they bump into that. They may not have the uh, mental context to be able to say, hey, it feels like you're telling me I'm fundamentally flawed and trying to push help on it, but they connect to the emotion of it and they don't like it. That's why a lot of times we just resent it when people try and help us. So anyway, that's something I'm working on accepting. And uh, part of that, I think, is related to the helplessness, but I'll just say it uh, in and of itself as well. I'm working on accepting myself when I'm not productive. For me, when I'm working 12 hours a day and you know, loving it, it's a great part of my purpose and passion. 
Yet when I'm doing that, there's certainly a direct line into my self-worth. Makes me go up. I'm codependent with my work. And when I'm not working, when I'm supposed to be relaxing, I'm usually stressed because, you know, part of me is not feeling worthy. So I'm definitely working on accepting myself when I'm not quote unquote productive. Very good. Very good. Uh, is there, is there anything that you like to do that's the, in, 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 for you, you feel is not productive, but still enjoy doing so anyway? Hmm. I'm learning how to like things that aren't productive. Uh, I would definitely like to like things that aren't productive. You know, the, mentioned earlier, you know, watching Netflix with my girlfriend would be a part of it. But on the whole, uh, I think I'm very underdeveloped there, to be honest with you. I'm doing my best to learn how to like things that aren't productive. And I think inherently, the trick I play myself is, in a way, they are productive. I think the more we can just unwind and just relax I think that definitely recharges and inspires us in a way that when we go back on the productive field, we have like a new energy we bring there, but without trying to use that as my motivation, otherwise it just feeds my dilemma. I would guess down the pipeline for me, something that would be very healthy for me is to get into a new sort of physical or sports-oriented hobby. Yeah, as a in my younger years, I definitely big into all these athletics. And then that kind of life got sort of serious in my uh, early 20s. And that kind of got phased out. And yeah, you know, stay physically active in the gym and things like that. But that, that doesn't offer what sports offer or like a physical hobby like rock climbing or killing homeless people, whatever people do. <laughs> uh, so I think it would really nourish a part of me to experiment around and find something along those lines where on the weekends or a couple nights a week or days a week, I'm, I'm really letting my inner child indulge in playful physical movement. So yeah, I'll be curious to discover what some of that might be and when I allow myself to actually embrace it. Well, uh, I hope you enjoy that. And uh, speaking of other unproductive things such as listening to podcasts like this one or the Tim Ferriss show. Uh, are there any other shows, uh, podcasts that you like to listen to? There's only a few. Um, have you heard of a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk? Yes. So, you know, his podcasts, I don't think they're true podcasts because they're primarily his uh, YouTube show that he also has available on podcasts. But I find him convenient to listen to on podcasts because you, you know, don't have to be staring at my phone or a computer. So I love Gary Vaynerchuk. And, and it's I find it weird how why I love his stuff because he's very much into the entrepreneurial business world. And and that I, I in a way I guess I am too. I guess I am an entrepreneur of my own work. But the topic of entrepreneurial stuff, it's not inherently interesting to me. But I just love the guy's energy. I love the guy's passion. You know, I it's like drinking a cup of coffee without the acidity for me to listening to a 15-minute uh, version of his uh, podcast. So, but yeah, that, uh, the rest of the podcast realm uh, yet to be in, explored. It's been less than a month since I put a podcast app on my phone. 
Okay. Okay. So, uh, well, you speaking of Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, what's your favorite wine then? Because didn't, isn't that how he all, he got started with everything was a wine business in New Jersey, I believe. Yeah. He, he had his wine library YouTube show, which I never watched any of, but he certainly references back to it quite a bit in his work. And actually your, your lovely question brings up in uh, an answer to a previous question about favorite indulgences uh yeah i like wine and my favorite wine would be malbec and i i used to just tolerate wine once in a while but uh, a couple years ago when i got together with my girlfriend she has an appreciation for sort of the art of food and wine being part of that so i kind of learned like oh it's wine there's there is something to it and it is enjoyable and and I'll go through spurts where I'll have a glass or two of wine uh, two or three nights a week, and then other times where it's just none for a long time. It's uh, but yeah, the Malbec varietal tends to be some uh, the one that I like the best. It, this is not wine, wine language. I'm super <laughs> unsophisticated and that realm so forgive my uh linguistic ignorance here it's but about like, as far as i know i i have <laughs> heard of the term or i've heard the name malbec and that's my extent of what i know of it yeah i i like the oiliness of it if you, i don't know if that's you can say that about wine but i like well, that and it seems a, bold no that makes sense because again i listen to the tim ferris podcast as well and he had somebody on who i think who was like a scotch and wine expert and they said, yeah. you can't be wrong on it either. Like, whatever you say, because that's what you taste, that's how you feel about it. So I, I can understand that. Absolutely. I can appreciate yeah. it. Right on. Oily wine. That's what I like. I'm really? going to, I'm loud and proud and like the oily wine. Now, one of the last questions I always ask people then is also, who would you want to hear on this podcast and what would you like to ask them? And as I'm asking you this, I remember I had Dan Hellman on the show uh, a little bit ago, and he asked me to ask you a question, and that's written down upstairs. So we're going to have to get back to that question at some other time. <laughs> but what is, one, what is one person that you would want to uh, hear on the show, and what would you ask them? Great question. First person that comes to mind is a guy named Brandon Hawk. Uh, he he lives in San Diego, Carlsbad to be exact. He is a a wonderful person, inspiring, very deep, does great work. He's in the the life coaching business, and I think the word term life coaching that's it can be insulting to call someone that, but I call it call him that for lack of a better term. He really he's a great facilitator of empowerment. Uh, he's kind of a, a Got a little bit of a Tony Robbins vibe to him and a, a little bit of a Dalai Lama vibe to him. So if Dalai Lama and Tony Robbins ever had sex and therefore one of them got impregnated and had a child, you'd have Brandon Hawk. That's maybe, actually, I've never met his parents. Maybe that did happen. And one of the, yeah, what would I want to ask Brandon Hawk, um, which by the way, just his website, I believe, is called utraining.com. Don't quote me on that, even though it's recorded, so it is quoted. Uh, <laughs> I'll check it out. I'll, but, I'll make sure to find for the listeners and uh, post it over on the show notes. Yeah, and what would I want to ask Brandon Hawk? Uh, I think there's going to be at least two questions that I'm going to 
plaster you with. So I'm being defiant to the rules here. Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, I love this quote of his, for success, break all the rules, but not the laws. So I'm breaking the rules here. I would want to ask Brandon uh, how his intuition shows up for him. And uh, let's see, I would also want to ask Brandon what the absence or abundance, there's my word again, but what the absence or abundance of money in someone li- someone's life means about their psyche. I will look forward to uh, asking them these questions. Uh, and I'll have to remember uh, next time when I ask him those, because I, I plan, I'll definitely reach out to him, try and get him on here and actually have those questions present for him. Uh, I'm like, I kind of drew out the ball on this one, but again, <laughs> we'll figure it out at some point. Now, the last question I end every show with is what is the one non-negotiable health habit that you never compromise on? But before you answer, uh, this is the one everybody has to go check out the show notes over on the Bare Naked Health podcast website uh, to hear your answer to. So we'll get to that in a moment. But where can our listeners find more about you? Where, when they go to uh, the show notes, what else, uh, can, how can they find you? Where can they find you online? And so on and so forth. Yeah, I think the the most entertaining and beneficial place to find me is on my YouTube channel, which is Awaken with JP. You can subscribe to my channel. I put out new videos every week, sometimes multiple videos every week. And then all my actually all my social media handles are at Awaken with JP, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, some of the other ones, Periscope, Snapchat. So yeah, I'd invite people to check me out there. Uh, my website is innerawakeningsonline.com. Uh, right now, there's not a whole lot going on right uh, on my website, I'll be honest with you. So connect with me on YouTube and social media, and I'd love to continue the conversation with all the lovely listeners out there on the social media platforms. Excellent, JP. Thank you so much. Everybody make sure, hey, go check all those things out. Uh, JP has a lot to offer and will uh, certainly be making you laugh. So thank you again for your time, JP. You're very welcome, Nick. Thank you for having me on and I love your sweet looking beard. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to go check on your brain health by going over to barenakedhealthpodcast.com and taking the free brain quiz. By doing so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Also, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out and helping to share the podcast with others.